and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I am back with another story from Laura J. Campbell's beautiful short story collection, No Lesser Angels, No Greater Devils, which I will link in the show notes. It is available for purchase. So many of you enjoyed that last story I shared from her collection, From the Garden. One thing I like so much about this this book is the variety that Laura provides with her stories. This one, this week, for instance, is completely different from the last, and I think you're going to love it, especially if you're into aliens. I know I don't do a lot of alien content on the show, so I know it's very much overdue because some of you really enjoy it. Look, (laughs) I'm terrified of aliens, okay? The idea of space and black holes and alien invasions scare me more than anything else in the whole wide world. I find ghosts and demons soothing and beautiful. Give me a haunted doll or a killer clown any day. But you start talking aliens to me, and I will end up rocking back and forth in a corner waiting for death to come. (laughs) Anyway, this is the 2007 Baker Award winner for Best Short Story, 416175. The old man was barely breathing. Lynn pulled him from his car, dialing emergency on her cell phone. This is 911? The operator answered. I found an old man. He's barely alive. Send an ambulance. Where are you? Philadelphia Street. Near the park? The ambulance is on the way. Lynn kept her phone on while she checked on the old man. He was coughing his throat rattling gravely with every spasm. She had been lucky to see the car parked in the distance. Jogging by, she noticed the black tube that had carried the exhaust to the driver's side window. She had broken open the door and pulled him out. He was in bad shape. He kept asking her, Do you believe? Believe in what? She asked. Something bigger than yourself. Sure, she replied. His smile was a weak, plaintive smile. Can you keep a secret from me? Something you promise not to tell. Lynn nodded. The old man's eyes were dying. I promise. She felt the need to humor him, to keep him hoping. He slipped something into her hand. Put it in your pocket. Now. She did as he requested. (sighs) If you don't. He said. He looked heavier for a moment, then infinitely lighter. 
Lynn knew he was gone. An ambulance pulled up. Lynn had not heard it. Its sirens were not on. A paramedic jumped out and rushed to the man. He felt for a pulse. Is he... dead? Lynn asked. Yes, ma'am, the paramedic said. Another man got out of the ambulance, wearing overstarched blue jeans and a crisp polo shirt. He approached Lynn. Did he say anything to you? He asked her. The first paramedic pulled a gurney out of the truck. No, not really. Nothing? The man asked. The questions were not normal for the circumstances. There was no inquiry about how the old man had died. That disturbed her. Uh, He asked me if I believed in God, Lynn replied. It was not quite the truth, but she had read somewhere that the more truth there was in a lie, the more believable the lie was. Bill must have gotten religion, the paramedic said, wrapping the body up on the gurney. The man in the starched blue jeans looked at Lynn. We have some questions. Perhaps you could come with us? A small crowd was gathering. I have an appointment this morning, Lynn lied. Why don't you give me your card? I I can call you later. I'm all out, he replied. Can I see your ID? I could copy your information down. He pulled out a weathered, pocket-sized spiral notebook. I left my ID at home. I was just out for a quick jog. Lynn felt like she had suddenly become involved in a game. She didn't know all the rules, to. You should always carry ID. It's the law. Name and address? It was an order. Phrased to compel information blindly. Lynn's father had told her a story about captured Allied pilots in World War II. The Germans had an easy ploy to extract intelligence from them, giving the prisoners forms to fill out. All categories of forbidden information were included on the form, alongside seemingly innocuous questions. It was the type of benignly bureaucratic information gathering people became insensitive to name, date of birth, rank, duties, social security number, name of two relatives, city of birth, how many men are in your squadron, where are you based? The man waited. Cynthia Garrett, Lynn said. Cynthia had sat next to her in high school chemistry. Garrett was an ex-fiancé's surname. I, uh, 7878 Spirulia. The address was for a new condo tower, currently being leased out. The man nodded, then got back into the ambulance. It left without any fanfare. No lights, no siren, Lynn noticed. Ma'am? Ma'am? Lynn heard a voice on her cell phone. Yes? We have an ambulance on the way to your location. The woman advised. The ambulance 
just left, Lynn said. There was the sound of computer keys clicking. We show no arrival yet. They just took the guy's body away. There was silence, followed by a sudden exclamation. That's so weird. The entry just came in. I'll cancel the other truck. Then, it suddenly occurred to her. The paramedic had called the old man, Bill, as if he knew whom the old man was before they got there. The little voice inside told her she was already part of something bigger than she was. Lynn checked out of her motel, paying in cash. When the drunken desk clerk turned back to watch televised women's beach volleyball, she tore the page with her information out of the registry. She was spooked by the man in the blue jeans. He had been too muscular and too efficient for any entirely wholesome job. He had the lean, heartless look of a predator. It made her uncomfortable to think that he had gotten her scent. The old man had given her an envelope. Inside, she found an old Easter card containing a key, an address, some cash, and an index card with two circles drawn on it. Make sure no one follows you was written inside. It struck her as a strange suicide note, because it wasn't one. It took half a day to drive out into the low mountains where the address was located. Concrete highways gave way to asphalt roads, and eventually, gravel-strewn dirt roads. She was glad her father had taught her how to use a compass and a map. Lynn made a quick grocery and supply run on the way out, noting the lack of businesses along the road. She had packed her laptop and a few other personal items. Once at the address, the old man's note specified, she stopped the car. It was a secluded cabin, tucked away beneath tall pines. Little brown needles littered the drive. She pulled the car beside the cabin and went into the house. The key provided with the Easter card worked, which amazed her. Once inside, she locked the doors and took stock of her new home. The electricity and water worked, which implied that someone was paying the bills. She put her groceries away, noting how spotless the refrigerator was. It was a small building, one large room with a separate bedroom. The main room was divided using furniture and screens into a bedroom. A living area, complete with a television and a work area. The latter area included a very modern computer. Next to it, in almost time-warping juxtaposition, were old electronics, a radio, transmitter-slash-receiver, and a synthesizer out of a 1980s catalog Quite a few of the machines were analog. Lynn noticed how clean the place was. The scent of cleaning fluids lingered in the air. Someone had been expecting someone to show up here. Lynn hoped she was an acceptable guest. She turned on the computer. The envelope the old man gave her resting in her lap. The computer greeted her. 
a voice pattern program, and artificial intelligence coursing through the machine's wiring. Enter passcode, a man's voice said. It almost sounded like the old man. Lynn thought for a moment. The only thing she had been given resembling a code was the number written on the old Easter card. She entered it, carefully typing 416715, and the machine dialed a number. Hello? A man's voice said over the connection. Hello? Lynn replied. You the new operator? He asked. I guess. You the new boss? Not quite the same as the old boss. The man replied. Lynn could hear the leather upholstery of his chair squeak. She could also hear an echo. He had a large office, surrounded by walls of glass or solid concrete. Where's the old man? He asked. Dead. Carbon monoxide poisoning. He hooked the exhaust pipe of his car up to the inside. Did you expect that? In a way. The man replied, without emotion. Not that he was suicidal, but there were parties that wanted him to be that way. They must have finally made his mind up for him. So, the old man kicked the bucket. Where does that leave you? Looking for a new bucket. You seem game enough to be here. You're very lucky, me being here. What do I call you? Lynn had picked up a deliberate poise on the part of the man, like he was accustomed to getting his way and giving orders. Mr. Allen. No General Allen? Is Allen a first name or a surname? Not in your need-to-know packet. There was a pause. You did get that packet, right? The concern that trailed his question was the first chink in the armor Lynn had sensed. I got an old Easter card, a set of keys and a map, and a few odds and ends. Who knows you're there? No one. Should someone? Privacy is next to godliness for you right now. I'll skip my next shower, since cleanliness is out then. Lynn could almost hear him smile. Did anyone else approach you? A stuffed suit and blue jeans pretending to be riding shotgun with the worst paramedic in the country? Lynn paused. How dangerous are they? Dangerous enough with a tailpipe and some hose. Noted. Lynn. Yes, sir? What do you think about UFOs? Lynn? It was three hours later. Mr. Allen had been interrupted and had left to take care of more urgent business. Lynn suspected that there were many other things on his plate. I'm the pet project's new manager, she thought. Not that she minded free accommodation, 
a small expense account, and something to do. It beat counting out nickels and dimes at the burger place before heading home to an empty hotel room. The project gave her something to do. A sudden purpose in an emptying life. She could understand the old man that way. So much inside and nowhere to give it. It had been serendipity for her, the old man, and Mr. Allen. Lynn had heard of luck, destiny, and even predestination. She liked the fewest syllables and silent letters a word had. So she thought of luck. It was the kind of convergence of events that her mathematical mind liked to classify as elegant. With no family, no job, and no direction in life, the adventure had needed no further justification. Lynn? I'm here. You savvy with computers? Smart enough. I'm a math genius, so all the tests told me. But I have a discipline problem. Always engrossed in the chapter, not the test. You'll need to grow some discipline. Some housekeeping tips, Lynn. Stay low profile and stay inside as much as possible. There's a security system. It's pretty self-explanatory. The code is 416-715. Like the computer, what's the significance of the number? It was the old man's social security number, without the middle numbers. Now, what do you think about UFOs? Lynn had thought about that for a while. Unidentified flying objects. Could be anything from the mundane to the freaky-deaky. Simplest explanation is that the observer simply doesn't know what they're looking at. My grandfather told me a story about seeing a jet plane in England in World War II before they were supposed to exist. That must have spooked a soul or two. Next level? Classified stuff. We can't show the world every card we're holding. Next would be a natural phenomena. Ball lightning or something like that. I once saw a flock of geese fly over a parking lot at night. Their wings and bodies reflected the parking lot lights back, an eerie white glow. A few more drinks, I might have imagined something else. Lynn paused. Fourth category would be anything that doesn't fit into the above sets. Little green men. Why not? The universe is a big place. It's hard to imagine that God built a master-planned community and then stuck all the sentient beings in one little isolated house hidden in a back cul-de-sac. I like you, Lynn. Mr. Allen assessed. You seem... adjusted. Your predecessor saw... too many boogeymen. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean everyone isn't after you. Can you guess what category of UFO this project you've stepped into concerns? I'm going to go with door number four. Bright girl, you'll notice your computer has a unique screensaver. S-E-T-I at home, Lynn replied. The program helped crunch the enormous data field being collected by the Search for Extraterrestrial Life Project. Large, technical ears, 
eavesdropping on the universe for any sign of communication. The waveforms stacked up over one another, filling the screen with a techno rainbow of peaks and valleys. There were the sounds of outer space, being scrutinized for any organization that might indicate intelligence or purpose. You're on board, Lynn, Mr. Allen said. It was a statement of fact, her acquiescence immaterial. Mr. Allen, we search for extraterrestrial intelligence while we beam old I Love Lucy's into the cosmos. Perhaps they think we'd be better off cultivating our own intelligence here. You work on this puzzle harder than you've ever worked, Mr. Allen ordered, ignoring her observation. This project depends on you applying yourself to the chapter the test is covering. I don't take kindly to little Air Force O4s telling me what they think at budget time. There's no way I'm letting an undisciplined army brat with a knack for numbers put any brakes on my project. You do your job. We need the right answers on this one. Lynn stopped to think his words over, considering them past his authoritative outrage. He seemed a few steps up the ladder, and not Air Force or Army. Navy, she thought. They had their finger in the space program pie. He could also be civilian agency brass, with a sky-high GS coding to his official job title. One other thing stuck out to Lynn. She had never mentioned being the daughter of Army parents. Yet, he had the knowledge to call her an army brat. I'm in, Mr. Allen. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, she thought, candidly to herself, I'm thinking there's long-term strategic career planning in being a UFO chaser. Good, because if I'm going to spend resources protecting you, I want you to be aware of how the world works. Protecting me? Lynn asked. Yes, Lynn. People are trying to find you. I've already seen the pre-prepared press release announcing your death. She heard Mr. Allen lean back in his squeaky chair. All it needs is a date. It is an opportunity, Lynn realized one of those that looked more daunting when it was really considered. A quick thought flashed across her mind. What would I say to the aliens if they were real? I might be the first person to talk to them. The person who makes the first impression for the whole damn planet. The first to figure out what beings from someplace other than Earth think, believe, intend... What would I say? She pondered. Hi, I'm Lynn, an in-between jobs math geek with a jogging problem. It had never worked for her on the dating scene. She wondered why she thought it would work as an opening introduction to an intergalactic communications officer. Mr. Allen had his own doubts to add to the stew. There may not even be aliens, he said ruefully. 
You and I will just grow fat off a miscellaneous line item expenditure in a classified budget report. But just in case, start with the notebooks by the computer. We'll bring you up to speed. Every abduction we know about is in there. Try to figure out if any of those are real. Why fly across a galaxy to tip cows? Lynn was alone in the small cabin. Hidden away in a darkness of night she had never experienced before. A thousand stars she had never seen before peppered the night sky. She opened a beer and started reading the notebooks. Abductions always seem to involve beer somehow, she thought. And Mr. Allen seemed intent on her exchanging her efforts for his generous donation to the Save the Lynn Fund. Every abduction file was neatly wrapped, notated, and cataloged. The old man had been a fastidious record keeper. She took out a large map of the world and pinned it to a corkboard hanging on the wall. In the trunk of her car, she pulled out skeins of yarn, remnants from an attempt to learn how to knit. Mr. Allen called after she had been working for a few hours. What you got for me? He asked her. I'm reading the files and color-coding them. I'll hook a camera up to the computer later so you can see what I've done. Good, he said. In the top drawer next to the computer is a bank card. I put some money on it this morning and changed the name on the account to yours. No need to fill out a W-2? This is where your tax money goes, he replied. How are you categorizing the cases? I put a bit of yarn down on the map, marking the place where the abduction occurred. Red yarn for the tabloid stuff, anal probes, sex with the alien, or the baby is an alien. All those get filed under, I got paid by someone for telling my story accounts. Orange yarn goes to spots where drugs or alcohol seem to have been consumed. There's a lot of orange up there so far. That's the world, Mr. Allen said. Continue. Yellow is for frustrated teenagers and lonely adults. Green yarn is assigned to those cases where the details seem too rehearsed, or there's a bed and breakfast ghost. A what? You know... Come stay at our place because it's haunted. Really? You're much more cynical than the old man. I have a suspicion about supernatural things that lead to profit. Sometimes you have to witness, like the southern preachers say. But other times, the entire exercise seems designed to take in the Yankee dollar. And blue yarn? He asked. That's for the most believable stories, Lynn paused. Funny how it turned out to be blue for those. How so? Project Blue Book, the UFO Chaser's Bible. You believe in that? It's big, boring, and incomplete. A believable government text. You're one of us now, Lynn. Technically a government employee. Ah, the government. Who vote on if we go to war with Alpha Centauri and whether to continue carrying cheesy fries on the cafeteria menu in the same session. Anything else, Lynn? Mr. Allen? 
you ever wonder what color yarn connects you to the world? When she was done, Lynn was pleased with her work. The yarn seemed bundled up primarily in the United States. Maybe, she thought, that was a lack of information from anywhere else. Maybe that was the way it was. There really was no reason to keep legitimate alien contact a secret, Lynn thought. There would be a tremendous advantage in the mutual annihilation game to let on that you had access to alien technology. Maybe that was the pathetic truth of the Roswell incident. Everyone pretend you saw something you can't talk about in order to freak the other side out. Lynn remembered stories about a U.S. Navy vessel using alien cloaking technology. The idea of a stealth United States Navy would have been upsetting to the Warsaw Pact. She rigged a camera up to the computer, very carefully defining the area it showed. Mr. Allen contacted her over the computer, and she waved at him. We have Lynn Cam, he acknowledged. Good, I always like visuals in a presentation. You look like your file photo. She showed him the map with its string. I hope the photo is better than the one in my driver's license. It's the same one, he informed her. I like your big board approach to the data. Yeah, lots of abduction stuff going down in zip codes where having a full set of teeth is an oddity. Be kinder to the locals, he scolded. My question is, why would aliens pick people up in the middle of nowhere? Lynn ran her finger along I-10. You can see all the major cities and most major interstates from outer space at night. An intelligent alien would notice where we were concentrated. Maybe you don't want to draw attention to yourself. Then why return anyone abducted? You could just keep them or pop them out of the airlock. Once back, people tend to talk. Maybe they think that these people are easily discredited. You just dismiss many of them out of hand. Our faith still rests in alien life being out there, Lynn said. It's a scientific machine with a religious operating system. We want to believe. If we didn't, SETI wouldn't exist. Your funding would disappear and H.G. Wells would have written the final treatise regarding alien interactions. So the cynic believes. <sighs> I'm going to reread some of the creepier files, Lynn replied. I'll talk with you later. I'll check in, Mr. Allen said. She took a picture of the world map and transferred the image into the computer. Then she played with the colors, eliminating some, enhancing others. The world looked like it had a weird rash. Nothing suggested an organized pattern to her. She decided to let the mathematical side of her brain relax, while the philosophical part played. It made no sense to Lynn that intelligent beings who could navigate interstellar space would be haphazard in anything, unless that was their intention. She figured they had access to television and radio signals, at the very least. Anyone watching would quickly figure out who was who. The President, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The Prime Minister, 10 Downing Street. 
corporate headquarters and military bases were usually obvious. The aliens would spot places with lots of satellite uplinks. If they wanted to make contact, they could just land on the roof of CNN in Atlanta and be done with it. Lynn remembered a line from Jesus Christ Superstar. Something about, why choose this backwards time and place? Maybe the preachers were right, she thought. Maybe the extraterrestrials wanted witnessing, not analyzing. She sat back, looking at the screen. The set looked arbitrary. She wondered about the aliens, mutilating cattle, screwing the locals, playing with anal probes. It seemed like senseless acts of violence, the type bumper stickers decried. What if they aren't senseless? She wondered. Maybe they were intentional, a slap in the face. When she was preparing for her PhD defense, Lynn had known a law school student. They had lunch together in the campus commons, quizzing each other. Lynn had learned about the livery of season that way. A parcel of land moved in fee simply from one owner to another. But in the days before big books of deeds, people needed a way to record the event. The solution was to take a child, usually the son of the new owner, to the land itself. In the field, the old owner would hand a stick over to the new owner, symbolizing the transaction. As the ceremony was performed, the kid would get a sharp slap upside the head, completely out of the blue. The end result was that the kid would remember the event. Maybe that's why Planet Q put anal probes on every departing flight, she mused. She regarded the abduction sites. She couldn't help but feel they were a set. If they were, it might be possible to project them using Lipschitz mapping, Labesque measures, Borel sets, and Hausdorff equations. It was the type of fractal geometry Lynn excelled at, taking seemingly random numbers and producing meaningful patterns. She printed out the map, giving the picture an X and Y axis, determined to figure out what the drunken Morse code was saying. A mass distribution mu, she mumbled to herself. Set F with less than mu infinity. It was the sort of thing she lived for, even if she did feel drafted into a one o'clock in the morning show on the Discovery Channel, some smooth voice narrating her clandestine story. She manipulated and projected turning the locations into a more manageable set of dots and dashes. In time, she had a picture, something that looked ordered and deliberate. From chaos, something was taking form. She sat back, amazed. Now all she had to do was figure out what was the question she had asked to get her answer. Lynn didn't believe in coincidences. She believed the laws of physics influenced all things, even when their operation was not apparent. As she pondered her work, it occurred to her how fortunate Mr. Allen was that she had been the one to find the old man. 
But it wasn't luck, she decided. They knew I would be along. They set the old man up for me to find. I jogged that route every morning. Or the old man managed to be where she would find him. She wasn't sure if Mr. Allen and Mr. Blue Jeans were working together or were the fiercest of rivals. The new boss was the same as the old boss, but the new employee was different from the old employee. It didn't really matter. She sensed a trap around her. Any news? Mr. Allen asked in his customary afternoon call. I've been searching leads. The old 5W approach. Who, when, what, where, and how. Starting with where. And? The beings who pilot hyperspace and monitor our transmissions would know we're just beginning to get technologically savvy. I figure they're testing us, seeing if we're puzzle solvers. I guess they want to know if there's intelligent life here. Can we answer the Sphinx's riddle yet? Can you? Mr. Allen asked. The four legs, two legs, three legs piece I know. It's the five tentacles bit that scares me. You'll let me know if you solve it right. I'd like to advise you through any delicate next steps. I need to validate my theory and my approach. I don't want to hand you a piece of coal while calling it a diamond. He let her go for the evening. Lynn was happy he seemed to buy that she was less efficient than she really was. She remembered the man in the polo shirt and jeans, pressed to a formal crispness. He had been in uniform, even in civvies. She watched the computer screen still processing the SETI data, the graphs piled up on top of one another. There had only been one close hit on SETI, when a team thought they saw a regularity in the data. One of them had said, wow, and that's what the data set was known as. Lynn took out tracing paper and pens, wanting to work away from any keystroke surveillance. The lines looked like a canter set, but not quite, she thought to herself. Fractal geometry was not going to solve the whole puzzle. Lynn could sense a sequence. She remembered biology, complex globs of DNA unraveling to allow themselves to reveal the recipes for making proteins. She held up tracing paper sheets with her sets on them. How did that work? She thought. RNA went up to DNA. The RNA read the code, making complementary strands, mere reflections of nucleotides. Then other types of RNA stepped up to the plate, retranslating the code and making the target protein. But the relevant code was hidden inside a longer string of data. There were introns, pieces of DNA not read, and alternate splicing, depending on what fragments the RNA read. Different proteins could be produced, depending on tissue type or need. Lynn remembered a visual aid from class, a bunch of random letters, the letters S-W-I-N-G-I-N-G. Random letters. The RNA knows to go to the correct section, and then what letters to select, depending on what word was needed. Swinging, winging, wing, swing, sin, 
when in I wig sing? What if the location projection and the garbled text from outer space were like that? Lynn pondered. A key to tell us when to read and when to skip over signals. A little test to see if we were smart enough to observe, decipher, think, and translate. It might be a way to pick up the pertinent sounds out of chaos, pull order out of entropy. It was the kind of test she would devise if she was an alien. She pulled her laptop out, deciding to use its lesser capacity for the most critical work. She picked up a secured wireless signal and opened her browser. The search engine spewed weather conditions, entertainment news, and headlines. She scrolled down out of idle curiosity. Down towards the bottom, one headline caught her attention. California woman still missing, believed dead. She clicked on the link. Lynn Kelsey has been missing two weeks. Now park rangers believe human remains found in the mountains may be hers. Kelsey was jogging in the region, known for occasional mountain lion attacks. Lynn read her obituary with interest. Whoever wrote it knew everything about her. Officially dead, Lynn felt an impetus to work even harder. She had to make herself valuable enough to someone to keep herself alive. The morning was cool, and she made herself coffee and started a small fire in the cabin's fireplace. She overlaid the set she had devised on various SETI printouts. She was looking for something that matched something. A kind of cosmic mahjong game. She tried placing the tracing paper along the horizontal peaks and along the vertical values. She rotated the paper along the diagonal, trying to match the points to anything. The pattern of dots and dashes played inside her eyelids. Days passed, and she humored Mr. Allen. There is a deadline, he suddenly announced. What do you mean, deadline? When? You're not on that need-to-know list. How close are you to having anything? Hard to tell. It could be the next five minutes. It could be decades. Science doesn't schedule its eureka moments. Well, work faster. That afternoon, she found a match. It was the sort of coincidence Lynn believed in. At first, she disbelieved her own observation. Rechecking her work, she found she had something that lined up neatly along a diagonal. She took note of the frequencies and durations of the noises represented. In a sublime moment, she basked in the possibility that she was alone on the planet, holding the key to communicating with something out there. Lynn also wondered, how far out there? Maybe Mr. Allen was seeing something she didn't. Why would he suddenly worry about her timetable? Her predecessor had worked on the project for years, judging by the old man's notes. But if something was passing by now, close to Earth, Mr. Allen would want to have a greeting prepared by then. Lynn pulled out the old man's transmitter and synthesizer. 
She hooked her laptop up. She started running a bogus program on the official computer, sensitive that her online work might be monitored. May as well have some fun while the computer is working for me, she said aloud, for the benefit of any bugs that might be planted in the room. She programmed the sound date from the SETI points into the offline computer, guiding it to output the information as sound on the old synthesizer. She hooked it up to the transmitter, connecting her laptop microphone to her headset. She discreetly placed the card from the packet the old man had given her on her lap, hiding it slightly beneath her laptop. The two circles drawn on the card each bore a line crossing their circumferences. Looking at that transmitter, Lynn realized there were two knobs, and the lines corresponded to settings. She hit the on switches and sent the signal generated by the number set out into space. It sounded almost like an old phonograph record being played backwards. Lynn half expected to hear the words, Paul is dead, coming out of her headset. Silence replied. She hoped she hadn't said anything rude. There was a fuzzy, crackling noise, and across her earphones, she heard a word. She sat very still, trying not to look excited. It reiterated, The sound, slightly different. It wasn't a recording. It was something, somewhere, looking for a particular response to one word. Happy. It was the Sphinx's new riddle. Lynn squirmed slightly. Happy what? It says happy, I say birthday? That's too obvious. What else is happy? Anniversaries, Halloween, children, puppies, sailing, trails, Hanukkah, dreams, faces, retirements, graduations. She looked at her lap, noting the card the old man had bequeathed her. The card, Lynn realized. The one with the access code 416715 written on it. A bunny adorned the card's cover, carrying a basket of multicolored eggs. She moved the microphone close to her lips and said one word back. Easter. A voice replied, heavily distorted by background noise and thick with a strange accent. Do do you speak English? She asked, amazed. It was like a bad science fiction movie where the entire universe spoke the Queen's English. Unless the movie was made in Tokyo and then every sentient being out there understood Japanese. The voice replied, This is first contact, Lynn thought. She had no idea who or what she was talking to, but at least they hadn't already written her obituary. She felt a queasy panic in her gut, 
Do not respond to anyone who does not give you the code 416175 first. Do you understand? The voice said. There was an almost clicking subtext to its speech. I am in danger, Lynn said. She figured that whoever had decided a mountain lion should get her was the type of person who thought that the Geneva Convention referred to a gathering of girls named after a city in Switzerland. Like Bill, Lynn replied. Her computer screen flickered, and a small map appeared. There was a spot highlighted. The voice said. Lynn paused. She figured she had time to get there if she made the escape look like an overdue jog. Okay, she said. There was silence again, and she turned off the machines. Back to work, she sighed to herself for the benefit of anyone still watching. She installed a few algorithms into the official computer, acting as normal as possible. She discreetly burned the data sets and the old man's cards in the fire, under the pretense of putting another log on to burn. You keep working, she tapped the computer. She quietly slipped out of the cabin, her laptop hidden under her track jacket, going to the appointed location. Sitting in the small clearing nearby, the sky rearranged itself before her eyes, and a bright beam of light bathed her body. It occurred to her that she was probably one of the few people to request an alien abduction. She felt something from the ship pull her up towards the metal belly. In the distance, she heard helicopters landing around the isolated cabin, people barking orders back and forth. As she was lifted above the tree line, she could see the front door give way to the men smashing it in. A man in a clean polo shirt and hyper-starched jeans walked around the grounds, a mountain lion at the end of his leash. All things considered, Lynn hoped her future would entail explaining the old I Love Lucy episodes to inquiring alien minds. Those things were easier to answer than anything any sphinx would ever ask. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much again to Laura J. Campbell for sending me your book, No Lesser Angels, No Greater Devils. And like I said, it's available for purchase right now. I will put the link in the show notes, so check that out. Um, I may have maybe one or two more stories from Laura. Um, If you're interested, let me know. So you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, There's a Facebook group with the subgroups Scare You to Eat and Scare You to Craft. Um, Yeah, Twitter and Instagram are both at Scare You to Sleep. If you have a story that you would like to be considered to be put on the show, 
are produced for the show and send it to scary to sleep at gmail.com. There's also an entry form on scary the website. Both of those go straight to the same email address. So use whichever is easiest for you. Um, I wanted to address real quick the kids and teens episodes this year, as you know, or as many of you know, some of you may be new to the show annually around Halloween time. I have a kids episode and a teen episode, and both of those episodes are just so much fun to do. I love to give our young authors a time to shine and to have their stories fully produced just like anyone else. And so I will be, let's see, it's the third. Sorry, that's me admitting that the show is coming out a day late. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, it's the third. So actually starting, I'm going to stay, say starting on the 10th going up to, because last year, to be honest, I got so many entries. I didn't think they were all going to be able to fit. And for the teens and kids, I really don't like turning anyone away because you know, they're kids and teens that I can't say no. So I'm going to say I wanted to get a little bit of a head start this year since, like I said, I have this other project I've been working on with another network that is, I can almost, it's so close, I can almost announce it. You're going to be so stoked. I'm so over the moon right now. It's anyway, okay, let's say starting on the 10th, going through the 20th, I will be accepting submissions for the kids and teen stories. That is what is happening right now. If it gets to the 20th and maybe I didn't get enough entries or something, I will extend it um, or, you know, we'll see. But for right now, starting on the 10th, so let your little ones know, you know, let your siblings, your nieces, nephews, all the children in your lives, cousins, students. I have had, if you're a teacher, I have in the past had teachers, um, use this as an assignment and they will pass out uh, permission slips to the parents to let them know to, to make sure that they have permission to submit their child's story to the show because it will be public. Um, so use you can use it as a classroom assignment. The kids will be anyone 12 and under. The teens will be anyone 13 to 17. I think those were the rules I used last time. Yes, 12 and under for kids, 13 to 17 for teens. Um, so yeah, just let me know, um, or don't let me know. I'm letting you know. See, this is a very, uh, this is a very casual announcement. I'm going to do a more official one, um, starting next week, because that will be the ninth. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm probably going to extend it from the 20th to like, I'm going to make it later. Just, we'll, we'll see. Don't worry about it though. Don't worry. Uh, so if you want to make this some sort of classroom assignment or something of the sort, let me know. I'll probably extend it to the 30th. Let's just say now I'm going off the cuff. It's going to be entries will be open from the 10th to the 30th of September, 10th of September to the 30th of September. I will be accepting entries. So you have plenty of time to get those written, get them proofread, um, or don't proofread them. Sometimes they're more fun when they're not proofread because <laughs> you get the full, full kid experience. It's great. Um, everyone thinks they're, they're so much fun. Uh, again, from last year, for those of you who are new, um, you can always ask for your child's name to be either anonymous. You can give me a, a fake name to put up like a nickname. Um, I can do first name and first initial or yeah, first name and initial last name, initial, 
Um, anything you would like for your child to remain safe. Uh, I do ask that you provide their age just because it makes it a little more, I don't know, it's just fun to like, and it's a great thing for posterity for a little keepsake for you in the future to remember, you know, that's what age they were and everything. It's fun. Um, so yeah, let me know how you would like me to address your, the, the child, <laughs> the child. Um, so again, I just want everyone to stay safe and happy and feel comfortable uh, same with the teens. I keep talking about the kids. I just feel like the teens, I get a lot of teen submissions just from the teens themselves. But uh, yeah, teens, same thing. If you want, let me know what name you would like me to call you. Um, you can also let me know pronouns as well for kids and teens all alike. Let me know. Um, so yeah. All right. I think that's it. I Like I said, I will have a more formal announcement. This will be less crazed next week. Thursday. It will be a little more organized and this will be at the top of the show with set <laughs> set rules for the entry and all of the 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 stuff. All the stuff. Um but I wanted to throw that out here. Um throw that out, throw that out there. Wow. While I'm thinking of it so you guys can get, you know, get a good start on everything, especially like I said if if there are any teachers out there who want to make this a classroom assignment. Um, then that's great. And I know that that takes time and permission slips take time. And I, but I also, for those teachers in the past who have worked with me, do not feel pressure to do that again. Please don't feel any pressure. I understand school is still, you know, with COVID and everything, school is still up in the air. Some of it is remote. Some of it's in person. Some of it is in person and going remote and vice versa. So if you have worked with me in the past, don't even worry about it. Do not feel pressured to do this. I just wanted to throw it out as an idea and a fun thing to do if you are so feel so inclined. Um, okay, everyone, I'm going to go. Um, thanks for listening again. Thank you to again to my author, Laura J. Campbell. Check out her book. Um, all right, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>